0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life family. How are you guys doing? School's back. Hi. Where have you guys been? Where have I been? Uh, Excited to be here today uh, with you guys. You know, just a shameless plug on that. I know that that uh, conference, the women's conference, is during the fair weekend. But I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the best time to go to the fair is Sunday after church. And so I would challenge you, uh, ladies, to to get plugged into that conference. There's a lot of time, energy, and effort that's been put into that, not just on our staff, but globally with lots of amazing people. And men, I would challenge you to make every way possible because there is nothing better, there is nothing better than having a wife who chases after God. Nothing better, there's nothing, I won't say anything else about that, but anyway, uh, nothing more attractive than having a wife who's chasing after the Lord, right? So uh, my name is Josh Gray, I'm the executive pastor here at uh, Real Life, and I'm the Moscow campus pastor, and this is...
1: I'm Carrie Gray, I'm the women's discipleship pastor, and this guy's wife.
0: So does anybody have any questions of whether or not I was in sales for 11, 12, 13 years? Like ah obviously yes well we're super excited to dive into this uh, sermon series uh, I know I was talking with different folks and they're like yeah I've been in and out and traveling and, and we've been uh, in and out and traveling too um, but it's really critical I think if you're plugging into a church body to know where they they're going and know where where they've been as well and so get caught up if you're checking us out for the first time with your with your son or daughter that's here for church you can get caught up with us online and listen to what we've been talking about but we've been on the Sermon on the Mount series and Uh, The first week was on the Beatitudes, and uh, that was preached by Marty and Emmy, and they did a fantastic job. I mean, that's something that you need to go back and study and chew that up in a big way. And then the second week was on salt and light, and that's still to this day one of the best sermons that I've heard uh, my pastor, Aaron Couch, preach. Um, You know, as you remember the salt, what is the salt? What are you when he calls you the salt and the light? You're like as precious as what? Diamonds. You're like the most valuable thing that he has. And what good is a diamond if it never gets seen? If it doesn't have light that shines out into the community. And so that was one of the best sermons. If you missed that, go back online. And you can, We're so cool. We're so technically hip and cool that you, don't, you can either watch us and see us on video. <laughs> <coughs> I was asking, does this shirt make my face look fat? They're like, no, your face does. No. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but, but you can watch it on video or you can listen to it. And then uh, there was some guy that, that beat up a bear with a hammer talking about the law up here, which was me. Um, and so then last week, JT did a fantastic job. I listened to it since I wasn't here last weekend. I, I listened to it. A fantastic job on the fulfillment of the law. And where we're called to a higher, higher purpose, a higher point. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard it said this, I tell you this. So please get caught up to know where this thing's been. I love it that you're out having fun and that you're, you're camping with your, with your people in your groups and you're doing life and, and, and going places. That's awesome. But stay caught up uh, with where the church is going. With that in mind, let's dive into this one. Uh, I kind of titled this, What's Your Motive? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this text. So let's dive into the text here. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, be careful. So first of all, if Jesus ever says be careful, if there was anybody to ever listen to when they said be careful, that would be him, right? So be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when when you give to the needy, So as we jump back and we dive onto this this first chunk here, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others as to be seen by them. Your righteousness. So there's an assumption here. There's a flat out assumption that you are going to practice these of or these these acts of righteousness. You are gonna you are gonna just tell God how you love Him. I. There's an assuming part that this will happen. And Jesus kicks it up another another level. So these acts of righteousness, of being right with God, of showing showing how much you love God, these pieces of the puzzle are assumed. And he says to be careful when you do these things. Be careful. And what is the motive? I know you're gonna do them because I know you love God. And I know you're all here because you're all Christians because you're in a church right? Just like being in a, in, a, in, a, in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> Be careful when you do these things. And as, as we think about this, I think there's something deeper that he wants to share with us, something deeper about these acts of righteousness and why we would do them. And he wants to know what our motive is. Carrie?
1: So I had a lot of fun diving into scriptures this week. Um, I love information. I want to know why. And Aaron shared that if you get a piece of scripture, one of the tools that you can use is just write down a lot of questions. Write it down as many questions as you can think of. And so I did. I started writing down questions. And then comes the journey of trying to answer those questions. And so I messaged a mentor of mine. Her name is Christy Pedro. And this is just a side note. If you do not have a buddy or if you don't have a mentor that you can wrestle over the scriptures with, I would highly encourage you to get one. So I messaged Christy and I shared what I was kind of pouring over and she sent some thoughts back to me. And then it was awesome because it reminded me of some a couple important pieces with verse two with a question I have. So let's look at this verse out of Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So in verse or 6, verse 2, there was two words that jumped out to me, which are trumpets and hypocrites. And I was wondering if there was more than just the obvious going on here. And believe it or not, here we go. So if you're not about information, like I said, hang in there with me. But I, I think this stuff is fun. So Jesus is... Really, it's a metaphor for the theaters and actors that what he's talking about here, and when you think about it, Luke, messi- me- or Luke mentions a quote out of a Greek play, and or Paul mentions. Sorry, I'm just butchering this whole thing. This is an awesome thing about information, as you sometimes trip on it. <laughs> so let me start it again. So Paul references a quote out of a Greek play, and Luke talks about Paul being in a riot in Ephesus, but nobody else mentions or uses this metaphor when it comes to theaters and actors like Jesus does. He's the only one in the New Testament and he does it 17 times, which I, again, I'm like, this is awesome. So why why the theater? Well, when you think about the actors during that time, the Romans would paint their faces to show their different expressions and their emotions. And the Greeks, they wore these big, heavy masks, all showing different emotions. And these actors, they were super famous. People wanted to be like them, they wanted to imitate them, and when they would come out of the theater and they would walk the streets, the Roman trumpets would blast to signify, here they are, don't you see them? The trumpets are the paparazzi. And then when we think about hypocrite, in America, does that word have positive meaning behind it? No, not usually. But in the Greek, all it means is actor. It doesn't mean good or bad. It just means actor. And so let me give you two examples. Um, Say your kid got in the school play, and he's the evil villain. And he's up on stage, and he plays that part so well. When he comes off stage, do we think he's the evil villain? No. He was acting, right? And Leonardo DiCaprio, this was another fun one. He's been in over 44 different movies that I researched and looked up. And I'm wondering which of them actually depicts him. I wonder which one is his truer self. Is it Jack in the Titanic? Is it, one of my friends is like, I thought of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Catch Me If You Can, it's another one. Uh, what about Reverend, his latest movie? Any of those, him? They're just an actor, is what Jesus is saying. And what you see, and when Jesus uses the word hypocrite, this is what he's saying is what you see isn't who they really are. That's his point. What you see isn't really who they are. And there's some things that Jesus just doesn't want us to act about.
0: Yeah, good word, good word. So in the last part of that verse, it talks about, um, so you're talking about the trumpets and the hypocrites and the synagogues and on the streets. And then it says, uh, to be honored by others. Why are you doing what you're doing? How many likes do you have from that photo that you posted? Who's following you on Instagram? You know, I was uh, at, a, at an amazing time with my daughter, my oldest daughter, this last week, and uh, she wrote me this, uh, this beautiful letter. And one of the things that she wrote in there was like, Dad, when, you, when I knew you were coming home when I was a little girl, I would go into the bathroom and I would fix up my hair and I would, I would put on a, a dress because I knew you were coming home, because I wanted you to see me, because I wanted you to notice me, Father, earthly Father. So why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it to be noticed by others? Do you care If God is somebody that is following you and you're following him, is that more important than how many people liked your photo? And we see this deep desire in our culture, in our community now, and they saw it then. So it's not Instagram's fault. They saw it then with your religious activities to be noticed by others. People will tattoo stuff on their faces to be part of a club, to be noticed and accepted by others. People will dive into drugs and alcohol and porn and all of these other things and do all this stuff. Because they want to be noticed, maybe not porn, but they want to be noticed by others. And I guess I would ask you that as, as we think about the text here, what are you doing in your walk? And why are you doing it? And what, for what purpose? Are you a hypocrite here at church? And one of the other things that God really convicted me, it's interesting when you have no cell phone and no coverage and no emails to check for a full week, you actually have time for God. Like you have time to spend time with him and hear his voice and to abide in him and to know him. And one of the things he was really, really clear about with me this last year, or about the last 14 months, which have been a tough 14 months for me personally and my family Um, And to be real honest with you, uh, I was a hypocrite. I was studying God's word for you guys, not for me. And God was so unbelievably clear with me this last week. He said, Josh, I'm not interested in a professional relationship with you. I don't need you to be professional with me. I want you to be personal with me. I want to know your heart. I want to know your aches. I want you to talk to me. I want you to spend time with me for me and you, not for somebody else. That's a hypocrite. That's an actor. And so I would challenge all of us. Do you have a professional relationship with Jesus? Did you go through the motions? Did you, you accepted them, right? Which was good. You put a spiritual mark on there. You got baptized, right? Okay, good. So you're done. Or do you have a personal relationship with our father? You know, uh, the tragedy of many lives is people that they don't know the father. They may know about God. They've heard of him, but they don't experience him. They don't abide with him. They don't live with him. Do you hear God? I was around a bunch of people that were just like, oh, yeah, and God was saying this to me. And I heard and like they're abiding with him. They know his voice. How about that? How well do you know your spouse? So let's say you just put the same amount of time and energy and effort into your relationship with, uh, with your spouse as you do with God. How is that going to work out? You talk to him about that much. You spend about that much time with him. And what's interesting in, in verse 3, it says, but when you give to the knee, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so, uh, so that you may give in secret. Then... It gets personal. It says, then your father, not a father, not the father, your father. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Are you personal with God? Your heavenly father who sees in secret will repay you for giving alms. Your heavenly father who sees in secret will repay you for praying. Your heavenly father, your heavenly father, your heavenly father. And that's the remedy for hypocrisy. Instead of standing up here and being a hypocrite or wherever I am in life, it's, it's about my, my personal relationship with God. And do I know him and do I hear his voice? And how about you? Again, he's not just some deity. He's not some God in some far off place. He is your heavenly father. And sometimes for me, what I needed this week was a heart transplant. I needed to change it from professional relationship to a personal relationship.
1: So knowing that a personal relationship is pretty important I'm going to tell you guys a story. So there was this group of people, and they were called the Israelites. And they lived in this land of Egypt. And they had lived there so long that they had grown to the point where Pharaoh didn't like it. He didn't like it so much that he started to oppress them to the point that they became titled slaves. And this burden was heavy for the people of Israel. And they cried out to God, God, rescue us. And so God sent a man named Moses. And God and the people knew that God was amazing because he worked through Moses. But he also worked through these 10 plagues. The plagues, each representing an Egyptian god and our god, one by one, slashed down those gods. And not only did he show that he is mightier than they, but he also wanted to show him that he's a different kind of God. Because those Egyptian gods would take and they demanded sacrifice and they oppressed. And God is like, I am not like that. And so he woos them out into the land of the desert and there they spend time together. It's called the honeymoon phase. And as God gets to know them and they get to know God and they start to enter into not just any kind of relation but a covenantal relationship, God says, I will be this for you. And they say, well, we'll be this for you. And so they build this covenant together. And it's there that they get the acts of righteousness that we've been talking about because God knows that there's a better way to live. And through that, he says, I want to dwell among you. And so we asked the people to build a tabernacle. And it was interesting, as I was talking with Christy about this, this story, and there were things, some things that jumped out of a couple of verses that I'm going to show you, and I want to see if you can pick them up. So in Exodus 25, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And later in Exodus, we see this again. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And then later in Exodus, we see, and everyone who was willing... And whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches and earrings, rings and ornaments, and they all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Did you pick up the theme? the first thing that started with hearts were that were willing. And I thought this was so interesting. It was hearts that are willing. This is what I need so that you can feel my presence. And the more that I looked at it, it's it's, it's not about what's being contributed. It is about the contributors that what God's really trying to get at here. And these people of Israel with their time together there was a significant awakening that was starting to happen. And the people and the nations around them, they saw what these people were building. They were building this incredible temple and they were watching and noticing. But the temple in the Old Testament links to what kind of temple in the New Testament? Who's the temple in the New Testament? It's us, right? And God is saying, I just don't want to dwell among you. I want to dwell in you. I want hearts that are stirred. That leap for the opportunity to give.
0: Yeah, good word. You think about those hearts that are stirred as is, is part of the process is what is God doing in your heart? Is He stirring you towards your retirement fund? Is He stirring you towards your safety and your security and what you can provide for you? Or is He stirring you towards a community? Is he stirring you towards the betterment of a community? The the the, the to have a, a an entire community that is on fire for God. Is that what he wants for us? So much so that you can't you can't help it. You can't help but talk about what God did in your life as much as you talk about Idaho football. You can't help but talk about uh, a God in your life as much as you talk about uh, what the Seahawks did or didn't do or your baseball team or whatever those things, that you're so wrapped up and you're so abiding with him that you know him and you know his voice. So as we jump into our our time for communion, um, uh, with our communion, if you're new here, if you've accepted uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want you to partake partake with us. We just hold all the elements um, together and we'll take it at the end as we go through our implications. Uh, If you're serving in communion, thank you for going back there and uh, getting that. Uh, If you don't know and you're like, I don't know what this thing is, somebody just drugged me here, you can just let it bypass you. It's not that great, crackers and juice anyway. Um, but uh, we want you to partake and I love the fact that we get to come back to the table at our church every week because I don't know about you but I was like oh I, I've, I've got some things I need to come back to you with father that I need, to, I need your help with this week and so as we think about these implications uh, the f- implication number one is do you know the father and your level of knowledge with the father where is that can you identify his voice Because you have voices. You talk to you a lot. Somebody else talks to you a lot. And the father talks to you a lot. But do you know the father? Do you have a deep abiding love with him? Wouldn't it be great to know that what the creator of the universe wanted you to do today? Wouldn't it be great to know what his will and his purpose is for your life? And in order to do that, you got to abide with him. Well, how would I go about abiding with him? How would I live with the Father? Well, how do you abide with your spouse? Do you study him? Do you spend time with him? Do you communicate with him up and down, left and right? How about worshiping God? Why am I so spiritually filled up? I don't know. I just had six sermons and five wor- six worship sessions last week. What's preventing you from doing that this week? So implication number one, do you know the
1: Father? And if you know the Father, and like I said, I'm one that I like a lot of information. And I can get stuck up here knowing the Father that way. But where's my heart in that? Have I given him my heart completely in all of that? If I'm honest when it comes to the needy and when it comes to giving, there are times that I'm just tired or maybe there's times that I don't want to give. But what I'm learning is that it's a process. It's a journey. It's spending time in the desert. It's connecting with the Lord. It's allowing that relationship to grow. And I'm praying as the Holy Spirit works in me, that my flesh will start to be disciplined and that the spirit would be stronger. And I didn't tell you the end of the story. So you know when they're building the temp- tabernacle and they're bringing all these items to that? Do you know that Moses had to give the people a command to stop giving? <laughs> Is that not crazy? To get commanded to stop giving. You're being way too generous. Stop. No more. No more. And I was like, gosh, what would the nations, our community, what would our church, what would my family, what would my husband, if like I gave until they told me to stop? What would change? What would happen? And so as we get to know the Father, I'm praying that my heart would change. I'm praying that for you guys as well.
0: Yeah, and as the executive pastor, we are, I mean, we are so close for me to tell you to stop giving. I mean, just, just raise your thing close. Do you know that we have dreams? And the giving's not just about the money because obviously where we put our, our treasure and our time is where our heart is, but it's about the giving of your life to someone else. It's about the giving of your heart to the Father to let him mold it. Jesus talks about that I will make you fishers of men. He's going to have to transform you, and you have to let him. And what would happen? What could change globally, but let's just zero down into Moscow. What could change if our hearts were willing? If we got to the point where our church and the Christians in this town were known so much for being so generous with their time, their talents, their treasures, their money, their homes, all those things that people had to say, that God had to say, stop Too much. Do you know there's kids that don't have shoes in our community? Legitimately, do not have shoes. Do you know there's kids that go to bed hungry every night in our community? In Moscow? Do you know there's moms that are running away from abusive situations that are sleeping in their car with their two kids? And I have a spare bedroom? Be very inconvenient, though, wouldn't it? What if we're like that? What would change? What could change? And even just jumping into the fun financial math stuff, uh, like we like to do as Westerners, there's a study out um, by Relevant Magazine, and it said that the average Christian ties two point three percent of their income. Like it's pretty close to the average American gives away two point three percent to something as well. Do you know that our uh, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas during the Great Depression, when they used to have to stand in line and hope they would get food, gave away 3.3 percent of everything they had. And if we just got to the minimum of tithing, and we talk about money, uh, even just here, but globally, it said in uh, this article said there would be about 165 billion dollars that Christians, if, if the people that said they were Christians, tied, 165 billion dollars. With an organized mind, we could wipe out, you know, water problems for the world. We could wipe out hunger for the world. We could wipe out illiteracy for the world. We could wipe out all kinds of things for the world and have about $100 billion left over to figure out what to do. I would say that our government programs would be less needed. And even locally as your church, like what can we do? We have this vision, this idea, this hope that someday we're going to pay off this, this shopping center that we have. And this shopping center makes money that goes to pay the mortgage right now, but it makes money. Can you imagine being part of a culture where you get to choose, your, your church gets to choose what it's going to do with forty or fifty or $60,000 a month directed by Christian-minded men and women right here into this community? What would happen? what do we do? What would change? Lives would change. School stuff. Yeah, hey, we're going to sell bear cards. Great. Well, we'd like, to th- we'd like a thousand of them. So we'd give them to everybody. Oh, we're going to, this team needs this. This mom needs this. We're just not, you know, Aaron's dream's so big, he wants to put apartments above this place. For single moms and have uh, daycare that's on a sliding scale for people to do that so we can help them get going. Help fun things. We have dreams and goals and all those things, but guess what? They're bigger than what, we can, what, what an individual could do. They're God-sized dreams and goals. So is your heart willing? Not just with money. Yeah. Every year we go into this recruiting phase of like, okay, guess what? Guess what we're going to talk about next couple weeks? We're going to talk about we need more folks for children's ministry. Well, that's great. We need more folks for our youth program. That's great. We need. We want you to have community and do life together. We don't want to beg you for that. Jump in. Give your hearts. Do we have hearts that are willing? So, when Jesus was there with his disciples the last supper, he looked at them. I bet you he saw some willing hearts. And I bet you he already knew the end of the story. That he looked in their eyes and he knew what was going to happen to them and their families because they were going to believe what they saw and what they heard. Are you going to believe what you saw and what you heard today? So the night he was there, he held up the bread and he said, looking into their eyes, I could just imagine him looking at them. He said, Take this and eat. This is my body. Let's take and eat. Then he held up the cup and he said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for amazing worship, Lord. Help us to worship like we've never worshiped before this next song. We want to cry out to you, Father. We want to know you. Lord, I ask that your word would just continue to fall upon us this whole week. Take us to special places in your text. We want to turn a spiritual discipline into a spiritual desire that I have to hear from you. You're the most important thing that I could hear from this week, this day, this hour, this time. Where do you want me? Direct my paths. So Father God, I just ask that your hand would be over all of us. We know your word doesn't come back void, Lord. It's not a matter of if we give. You said when we give. And then you said it's not a matter of when we give, but what's our motive? Who are we doing it for, Lord? Let us do it for you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.